Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, I talk to master frame builder Mark Nobilette of the many frame builders who can capably be called masters of the craft. It is distinctly possible that no one has been at the bench longer than Mark Nobilette. His credentials are impeccable. He was trained by Albert Eisentrout in the very first frame building class that Eisentrout taught, which was held in Chicago before Eisentrout moved his operation to Oakland, California, way back in 1973. Noblet went to work for Eisentrout after that, and since then has gone on to produce thousands of frames in the Eisentrout tradition, with thinned lug points that are often reshaped, as well as with windows cut in to his taste. But unlike so many of his contemporaries, Noblet hasn't confined himself to just making lugged steel creations. He's made mountain bikes for Gary Fisher, recumbents, track bikes ridden by Olympians, and just about everything in between. We talk craft, how he approaches it, and what gets him up in the morning. With that, I'd like to introduce Mark Noblet. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm not sure what went up with Skype. Yeah. I have to call well, from Skype to be able to record the call, which is why I couldn't pick up on my oh, phone. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, that maybe that's why we're <laughs> pinging of, uh, each other. Yes. Uh, um. Okay. Uh Well, is this good enough connection? Do you think? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it is now. Um, there was a little okay, problem. Okay. I've I've taken care of it, so we're we're good now. Um. And it's funny, it's going to be easier to edit now because the interview will start so close to the beginning of the call. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Good. Alrighty. Uh, so what I'm going to do, <clears throat> you know, give me one second, actually. I'm going to go get my drink so that my throat doesn't sound scratchy. One sec. Sorry. Okay, so what I do is I take a brief moment of silence, which gives me an edit point, and then uh, mm-hmm. I come in and I introduce you. And at that point, we're off and running. Okay, all right. Well, now, you're breaking up a little bit for, to me. I like oh. to hear you and understand you, okay? Uh-huh. I'm just wondering if it's what the case is with me. You sound you good on this okay? end. Yeah, you sound really good on this end. Uh, as good as a phone okay, call's gonna sound. Matters. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Really matters. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. All right. Mark Nobilet, welcome to the poll, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. Now you're in the front range. Where exactly in the front range are you located? I am 
just north of Longmont, which is a, kind of a, I guess a suburb of Denver in a way, near <laughs> Boulder, uh, about 20 miles from Boulder, in between Boulder and Fort Collins. Okay. That means anything to anybody. Uh, probably, probably. Uh, now, I'm aware you just got a little bit of the white stuff. How's it going? Uh, say that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got a little bit of snow there. Uh, how's oh, that going? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Intense. Intense. <laughs> uh, we got about a foot and a half here, and uh, it's pretty much paralyzed the area. Oof. Uh, well, well, good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. it, well, it won't be long, though. The sun's <laughs> out, and, you know, in a couple of days, hopefully. Good deal. Be back to normal. So. so, hey, I'd like to begin with your beginning as a builder. You know, I'm sure we've got yeah. listeners who aren't that familiar with your career and may only have seen a frame of yours, you know, at, you know, one of the frame builder gatherings. Tell us, please, how you got your start. Yeah, I guess it uh, was an interest of mine, mostly cycling, starting in high school. And uh, shortly after high school, I got a job in a bike shop and, um, you know, was really interested in you know, racing bikes. And uh, and that's when, uh, actually, I heard about a frame building class. And... Uh, Chicago, Eisentrout. Mm-hmm. Just some customer came in and just mentioned it, and I uh, I researched it and actually called Albert up and I got into the class. And uh, this was, you know, December of '73 mm-hmm. when the class was. So anyway, I got in and uh, took the class, built my frame. Uh, actually, built it on Christmas Day. Uh, and, uh, after that, Alberta offered me a job. So I, uh, you know, next month I would moved out to California. Oh, wow. So, Michigan. so, so you were in Michigan, went to a class in Chicago. And by the time you started a yep. job, you were in California. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, I went, really went quick and, but I was ready. I, you know, I was pretty focused at the time. I, uh, I really thought this is what I wanted to do. I'd, I'd been saving money for travel, and when I'd heard about this class, I go, "Just well, that, that's it." You know, I was willing to spend all that money on the class. I did, and uh, you know, here I am. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was worth it, and uh, glad I did it. Now, I remember that first class of Eisentrauts as being. To some degree, a who's who of builders. Would you tell us who some of your classmates were? <clears throat> no, actually, the class I was in was not. Oh. Um, and you're thinking probably of the second class, perhaps. Okay. Which was taught at, at uh, Albert's shop in Oakland, which I assisted in because it was right after I'd, I'd moved out there. Uh, but, yeah, the first class, um, you know, I barely remember anybody in the class. There was one guy who lives here that I see oh, every once in a while, Al Fine, who owns the Turin bike shop here in Denver. Okay. Uh, along with Lee Katz, who started Turin. 
but I actually, you know what? I just heard uh, that they'd sold it. So uh, after all these years, so I'm, I, I'm guessing he's retired now. Uh, but yeah, he was the only real person of note uh, that I uh, would mention. Uh, the second class, though, was different. Uh, that was uh, with Joe Breeze, Bruce Gordon. Uh, another guy that went on to build frames up in Montana, Sam Braxton, who mm-hmm. kind of had a following, but then he died <laughs> not long after that, unfortunately. So, mm. uh, but uh, yeah, so it was really just those three guys, um, you know, of note. Uh, but you know, there were others in you know subsequent classes. That mm-hmm. were taught. I mean, he taught another one when I worked with him in Texas, I believe it was, or maybe Arizona, I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, taught many more after that. Right. And I was, I was, I was out of the picture at that point. Okay. So, uh, you know, I don't really know what happened. So now uh, in your work for Albert, you know, define what your duties were. And I'm also curious, how long did you stay with him? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it started off with uh, basically grunt work. It was all actual frame building, but, uh, you know, uh, raising dropouts, cleaning them up, uh, you know, doing finishing work on frames, any kind of finishing work. I actually got really good at it. And so I, uh, maybe unfortunately, got stuck with a lot of it. <laughs> I wanted to do a lot more of the brazing mm-hmm. and I did get to do some, you know, I built forks and, you know, did build, get to do some frame brazing, but, you know, by the time it's all kind of developed, by the time I got to the point where I was at that stage, uh, Bruce Gordon had already bought into the business. And so he kind of got the first dibs and all that stuff. Gotcha. It, you know, before I did anyway, you know, if Albert wasn't going to do it, then Bruce did it typically. So, um, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me at the shop. Uh, so I was only there for probably about 15 months, Uh I think. And, uh, yeah, I went, um, directly to, uh, work for the missing link bike shop after that. Uh, and one of the reasons why I left was, well, it's <laughs> kind of a funny story. I guess it's been told before, Bruce has told it, but they actually fired me. And the reason why was, in my mind at least, was because I've been racing, I was racing bikes and mm-hmm. I wanted more time off. And uh, they didn't really want to give it to me. You know, there was probably a money issue in there too. And, uh, you know, I just, I think I was just kind of ready to go. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so they, they fired me. Bruce uh, likes to like to say that, um, you know, that I wanted to do some breathing or something and he wanted me to do something else. And I, I guess I supposedly got belligerent and, uh, you know, that was it. But that's not the way I remember it. Uh, I remember just coming in in the morning and, and going to work. And, and the two guys, Al and 
Bruce came over and just said, Oh, he decided to fire you. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but it's funny because, uh, even though Bruce and I weren't friends for probably 20 years after that, we ended up becoming really good friends after that. And Al and I are still good friends. So, you know, it never was a personal thing. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it. And it didn't have anything to do with my, uh, you know, my performance there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the work I was putting out, it was, you know, it was probably just like I said, the other factors. And I really did want to race a bike and, uh, you know, I was having some success. So I was, uh, I was ready to move on. The missing link was a great place. I, I got a job there that day and, uh, you know, worked there until I moved, moved away. Now, your work for Missing Link, you were frame building? No, no, I didn't do any frame building. It was just oh. a bike shop. Okay, okay. You know, I, I worked there, though, with um, with Howard Sutherland was one of the guys I worked with. Who of Sutherland's, the, uh, the, the manuals? Suther- yep, the manuals. I worked with Howard and another guy named uh, Ann Ritchie, who who's written some bike history books. Uh-huh. Real knowledgeable guy. Um. Yeah, so it was a it was a fun time, actually working at the lake. You know, just was there pretty much for a summer. Uh huh. And was that when you moved to the Front Range? After that? No, I actually moved back to Michigan. Oh, okay. And, uh, and went to school for a while up in Marquette on Lake Superior. So, you know, I went from sunny California to, you know, like Alaska. Right, right. One of the rougher winters around. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> yeah, so it was a real different scene. You know, I wasn't, I was the only guy that rode a bike in town. Literally, <laughs> I was the only guy. I mean, there were bicycles, of course, but uh, I was the only guy that had a racing bike. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'd go out and train and I'd never see anybody. And, uh, you know, but that, that season was super short and the ski season started pretty much right away and I got into that. That's where I uh, uh, really learned to ski and uh, did a little racing. And, uh, so at what point did you decide you were going to start building frames again? Oh, it's, uh, a year later. I went to school for a year up there and you know, the whole time I was kind of you know, taking courses, engineering courses that were, I thought, related to, uh, you know, frame building. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to do. And so I only stuck out, stuck there for a year. And uh, I went, moved back to Ann Arbor where I'd grown up and um, immediately set up a shop in my basement at my house and, uh, you know, started building frames, uh, you know, on a real limited basis, but, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, I was the only one around doing it. So, you know, I was able to find customers fairly easy Uh in the beginning. So, uh, you know, a lot of friends, you know, people starting out in bike racing and, uh, yeah. So, um, it just kind of grew from there. And, uh, you know, I took other jobs in the meantime, mm-hmm. just cause it still wasn't, you know, full on 
you know, business. Uh, but uh, so I worked at, at bike shops and I uh, worked as a machinist for ten, uh, for five years, five, six years uh, before I got to the point where I felt like I could go full time frame building. What year is this we're talking about where you decided you were able to go full time? Full time was probably about eighty one. Okay, something like that. Uh huh. And yeah, give me some idea. Like, how long did it take you to deliver a frame, and what were you charging for a frame set? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, you know, it probably took me a few days or so, a few days to a week to build a frame. Uh huh. Those days. You know, I can build them faster now, but I don't really want to, typically. (laughs) (laughs) I take my time. But back in the day, you know, I was really trying to crack them out. I was younger and, uh, you know, uh, trying to establish myself. So, you know, the prices were definitely lower. The first one I sold was $125. Wow. Okay. Yeah frame and fork and uh this is you know eyes and trout quality frames right right you'd file you know, the lugs in, yeah. stand out lugs fast back seat stay and all this stuff mm. and um you know every pretty much every buck i made from there i tied up it a little bit you know 25 bucks you know 50 bucks maybe to where i got it to you know where i was kind of pretty much competing price-wise with, you know, the other bike companies that were selling frames, you know, Schwinn, Paramount. Uh, you know, back in the day, uh, my early days, there were, you know, there weren't a lot of frames available, mm-hmm. um, you know, as frames. Uh, so, you know, there were only a few. There was another guy in the state, uh, Matt Hassenmacher, who was building frames mm-hmm. when I moved there. And so he already kind of established himself. Uh, but, I, you know, I was kind of felt myself uh, of myself as the, the racing builder. So, you know, I didn't see a lot of Hassenmacher frames at the races uh, like I, you know, used to see mine. I mean, I, I sponsored teams and individuals and well over the years quite a few but um you know back in the day the Anna Riverville Club which I was one of the founding members of was one of the first sponsors of that team uh and you know southeast Michigan where I was each was kind of dominated by the Wolverine Sports Club in Detroit Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they were a huge club and, uh, you know, they were also sponsored by Schwinn. So, you know, they all rode Schwinn pretty much. Uh-huh. And, uh, so, so they weren't my customers really. Uh, so it was, I mean, really it just kind of grew slowly, mostly from friends and, uh, you know, eventually all over, but, uh, it's always been a, a small seen for me and you know it's always been a struggle mm-hmm. you know there have been times when I've been completely out of work mm. so. well that brings me to one of my other questions 
you know, you, you are currently doing some contract work. And I, if I understand correctly, you've done contract work for other builders in the past. Um, yeah. Who, who are you building for these days and who are some of your previous customers? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Rivendell's custom builder. Have been for about 10 years or so now. Uh, I am also building some Zen stuff, Leonard Zen's steel stuff. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that for quite a while too. Um, so those are the only two I'm doing right now other than my own. Okay. Uh, but I've done, geez. I mean, it started way back when I did some stuff for, for Fisher, actually. Actually, the very first job I did was for a company called Montague. And they did oh, okay. um, folding, yep. folding bikes. Right. And it just happened that Harry Montague, the guy who had designed that, uh, he'd gone to the university of Michigan and his kids were going to the university of Michigan. So he'd make these trips to Ann Arbor from the East coast. And, and so that's how we hooked up. And, and yeah, I did, I worked for him for many years and, uh, mostly prototype. Work. Um, but we did some runs of some road folders. Okay. Um, but yeah, then I did some bikes for Fisher, you know, when the mountain bike thing came along mm -hmm. and, um, it was probably 85 and uh, you know, that didn't really work out because I wanted more money than Gary wanted to pay me. So, so we only did one batch of those. And okay. 11 frames, I think for them. About Tams. Uh, but yeah, I've done bikes for G. Um, yeah, let's see here. Uh, well, I, I used to make some bikes for a shop up in Portland called VeloCult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although they've closed down, unfortunately. Yeah, that was quite a loss. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I built the first Rene Airs frames that were American Rene Airs frames. Oh, okay. After uh, well, a local guy here, Mike Cone, and uh, yeah, John Heine uh, of Bike Quarterly um, bought it. And so I built all the first ones for them and, uh, you know, that's over now, but, um, you know, that was a fun project. Mm. Uh, I've done some recumbents for a, a place down in, in, uh, Colorado Springs called Angle Tech, a bunch of, uh, three wheelers. Uh, I helped main street pedicabs get moving as a company out of Denver. Huh. Uh, you've, you've seen these things on TV many times. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's mostly it. Um, yeah, I worked for GT for a year and I also did some contract work for them out of my shop here. Oh. A bunch of the team bikes, US team, Shackley, uh, um, who else was it? Yeah. Uh, um, Saturn. Oh, okay. Saturn uh huh. Yeah. Wow. So, so that was that was good stuff. You know, I get to build bikes for you know, a bunch of racers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, you know, that's really kind of what I wanted to do. I mean, it would have been nice if they could have been Nobelettes, but uh, and I still uh, right. You know, I was I was happy to be involved. Sure. And and 
you know, GT was a good place. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Everybody I know it. who was involved loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately that's all changed too. Uh, true that. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're unusual among builders that I've talked to over the years in that you build in lugs, you fill it braze, but you can also TIG weld. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, I know plenty of guys who can build in lugs and fill up brace, but normally when you've got that skill set, you don't go on to learn how to TIG weld. I'm curious about... Well, <laughs> I don't mean many, okay? <laughs> yeah. um, I can see how, given the, the breadth of what you've done, why it would be useful. I'm curious, you know, at this point in your career, if you were to, to divide those different construction methods... By percentage, how often do you do lugs versus fillet raising for t- versus TIG welding? Well, lugs have always been the dominant construction method for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've diverted from that, you know, during a period where fillet raising became popular after mountain bikes. You know, and oversized tubing and things like that started making it complicated to build with lugs. So I did a lot of lug, lugless filibrase frames uh, for many years here when I first moved to Colorado. I mean, I'd done some in Michigan, but I didn't do many filibrase bikes. People just didn't care. You know, it just lugs were it. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, I still think that's basically true. Uh but I've always liked the look of Philip Braze, and I, you know, one of the first bikes I built when I first started out was a Philip Braze frame for myself, which I still have. Um, uh, but yeah, mountain bikes really changed all that. Um, so Philip Brazing became, you know, kind of the dominant thing for me for a while. I, I took on TIG probably mostly to, to uh, do some production. But mm-hmm. I wanted to do some production bikes. I had been doing some lugged production bikes starting when I was back in Michigan that I uh, sold through Colorado Cyclist. And for a couple of years, I did that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was good. Um, but, you know, I, things were moving toward TIG, you know. I mean, there were a lot of companies that were only doing TIG. And right. so I... You know, I didn't want to be left off the back completely. And I and TIG is good for lots of things. And, um, you know, it can help in, I mean, I use TIG for making lugs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's really what I'm doing mostly with the TIG welder these days. Okay. Uh, but, you know, there were some times in there where I really needed it for some production stuff. I did some, a bunch of, uh, trainer frames for racer mate. Oh, a hundred, hundred of those. Okay. Uh, Velodyne, I guess is what it was called. And, uh, so I did a hundred of those and those were all tape welded. Uh, and then all the Zin stuff I do is tape. Okay. So, so, so yeah, it's, there's still some tape involved here, but you know, I'm, I'm, it, the focus is more on lugs now. And I think that's where most people are interested in steel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. log stuff. I mean, if you're going to have a steel bike, you know, it should look good. Right. And, uh, right. 
No, I mean, not that TIG can't look good. I think TIG is fine if it's done really nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not, you know, have you seen when you've seen them all, you know? So, uh, you know, that's where lugs hold my interest and probably a lot of people out there that are interested in steel. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's kind of what, you know, drove the handmade lug thing. Right. Too, it's just, you know, the intense interest in lug and, and not being able to, to, uh, you know, just carve a lug, an existing lug into what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I just started making blanks and, uh, you know, and then just figure out what to do from there, <laughs> you know, how, to, how to cut them. And so, and that's always an issue. I mean, that, that's, that's the hardest part is figuring out where to cut. Right. Right. So, well, that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, you know, you among, there are a certain number of builders I know whose lug work is really interesting by virtue of the fact that they decide when they cut windows, they're not going to cut a heart, a club, a diamond, or a spade. Um, yeah. You know, in some of your bikes, you've used windows that have been not just different, but even a good deal more original than that. I'm thinking here, especially of the Spider-Man inspired frame you did in which the, the lugs, the windows and the lugs were called spider webs. And, you know, you've done ovals. Uh, I've seen some really interesting shapes. I, I'm wondering what the sources of inspiration you, you use are besides, say, Marvel Comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, that comic, uh, that, that bike just kind of ended up being the Spider-Man bike, you know, and the people that dubbed it that, uh, I didn't. When I made the bike, I really didn't, I, you know, I didn't know what colors I wanted to paint it. And, um, so I kind of left it up to the painter uh -huh. and they ended up painting it, those colors, the blue and red, which and recalls the Spider-Man blue, blue and red with the black, which is exactly yep. the colors of the Spider-Man. And I mean, I, I know that because I used to, well, I used to be a, a comic book collector when I was a kid I had to add those comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, it really wasn't planned that way. Um, but yeah, to, to get back to the question, um, you know, it's, it's always difficult, uh, to figure out where to cut. And, and some of my inspiration is mechanical. I mean, I just like the look of, of, uh, machinery mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I think some of my, uh, cutout stuff maybe even be might even be kind of art deco uh inspired i could see that yeah um uh yeah i don't i don't uh you know i try to i try to do something different that's the thing so i do a lot of ovals and yeah i guess a lot of ovals uh <laughs> but um you know i'm always uh Anytime I do a handmade lug bike, it's, it's, I'm starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really have a plan. And so, uh, you know, I have to, I'll, I'll just sketch stuff out on the lug and, you know, I'll erase it and sketch more and erase it until I come up with something I really like. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's tough. 
it's tough to do something original. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think there's anything that's real original in frame building, especially when you, you know, really get to see what, you know, the French were doing, the British were doing mm-hmm. you know, in the forties and fifties with logs. Right. Uh, you know, there is some really incredible stuff. And I, I discover, or I see some of this all the time. I mean, it belongs to some websites uh, from Italy. And, um, well, other frame building sites. And they're just, the stuff shows up all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, some frame builder guy I'd never heard of before. So, yeah, um, you know, it's hard to feel very special. <laughs> <laughs> doing this stuff, especially when you see some of this other stuff that people have done in the past. So, yeah, okay, it's not new. I mean, uh, your your modesty kind of cracks me up. I try to up. mix it up. Oh, okay. I try to mix it up, you know? Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, when I think of builders here in the U.S. who've got a significant history of doing really high-quality frames, you know, you're in that upper echelon, and... You know, I can appreciate that most of your clientele who comes to you is going to want a lugged frame from you because if I'm going to buy a Noblette, let's let the guy go. Let's let's let him be creative. Uh, so yeah, well, yeah, and you know, I'm making fewer bites now, and I think I kind of have to make everyone count. Yeah, and uh, you know, that's where you know I can do something that's you know artistic. Mm-hmm. which is my background. I mean, that's where I came. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was interested in high school. and That's kind of what got me into bikes was the aesthetics. Very cool. Um, so, uh, yeah. I'm, but you've also chased the work in an unusual way in that you haven't just built road frames and cross frames and touring bikes and mountain bikes. You've built tandems. Yeah. You've built at least one triple that I've seen. You've built trikes. Yeah, I'm surprised that you've seen that triple for real. <laughs> Not in person, just pictures, just pictures. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, you know, I haven't seen, I have a picture of it myself as a bare frame. But I sold it to a guy in Texas, and uh, I, I, I never really heard uh, much more about it after that. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've done, you know, lots of different uh, types of bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, was making trikes for a while there. I still have my setup for that. If anybody mm-hmm. ever wants one, uh, I made my own rear end differential setup so I can have a two wheel drive. Wow! It's upright type trike we're talking about, like a British racing trike. Yep. Not a recumbent. Right. Um, but you've uh, done that so as well. <laughs> But I've done, yeah, I've done a bunch of recumbents. I did, a, like I said, a company out of Colorado Springs, Angle Tech. Okay, so the question. I called a, okay. Uh, well, Sorry. go ahead. You finish that, please. Well, I was just going to say, I, I, I used to make this thing called the Quadruped, which was actually a hand and foot powered trike. Oh, okay. Okay. So Neat. it was pretty weird, unusual. Wow. So the uh, question is. Is there anything, you know, kind of bicycle associated you've never built? Is there a hole in this vast array of what you've done? Well, 
Yeah, some specialty things like a stayer bike, say. Okay. Um, well, there's got to be others. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing. I began bikes, asking my cross bikes, yeah. you know, mountain bikes, tandem, tandems, whatever. Um, not really, you know, not, not anything that I'm that interested in. I mean, there, I haven't built a, a fat bike yet. Okay. I did a, a fat fork for Zen that, that he needed, but, uh, I haven't done a frame. Um, you know, that's another one of those things that I probably would have been, you know, more excited about if I was in Michigan. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we used to ride in winter all the time on the trails. You know, but we're usually only talking a couple inches of snow. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it was easy enough to do. But uh, a fat bike uh, might have been cool. Um, and actually, here it wouldn't wouldn't be bad. You know, if you want to drive up into the mountains and go to a, one of those cross cross country ski uh, areas that have groomed trails for fat bikes, mm -hmm. that could be fun too. But, you know, other than that, I'm, I think a normal mountain bike does what I need. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, what else haven't I done? <laughs> well, that was the um, thing. I mean, it seems to speak to I mean, a I willingness. Did a, I, I did a piano bike. I did this thing what? Uh, for all <laughs> a piano. Yeah, I've done a couple of them, actually, for a guy in Michigan. Uh piano player back there, uh, Mark Braun, Mr. B. Uh-huh. Professional name. Um, yeah, he's used it for fundraising. But I've made him a couple of these things to haul a full-on uh, upright uh, spinet, 350 pounds. Good uh, grief. You know, I, I, with the, uh, uh, a suspended platform so he could, so it wouldn't go out of tune. But uh, yeah, he'd drive right around and play that thing, and he'd uh, and raise money, and uh, he's been successful with it. Uh, wow! He uh, raised a hundred thousand dollars for kids in Flint. Oh my gosh! Uh, I guess it was this last year. I think yeah, it was last year. Hundred thousand dollars for kids in Flint, and just just doing like a sprint ride with a whole bunch of. You can put a pusher, you can put pusher in the back of this thing. Okay. Attach bikes to the back and push. But they did a, like a nonstop ride up to Mackinac Island from Ann Arbor area. Uh, and raised a hundred thousand bucks. So, uh. That's remarkable. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I was pretty happy to hear that. Wow. Um, Do you have pictures of that so, that we might be able to show? I do. I do. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, we definitely yeah. have to show that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So another construction we'll question. I'm wondering, you know, given, you know, what you do with your own bikes and the, the custom building that you do for Rivendell, you know, how often are you doing something more than just cleaning up the casting seams? You know, like reshaping points, thinning the points, adding brass oh. fillets. How often does that happen? Yeah. Oh, fairly often. I just, just did a, the last two frames I've done for Rivendell where I'd have to, I had to cut uh, two lugs 
apart and weld them back together at a different angle and uh, do that. And that's that's a little different. Um, you know, and I do celebrating for them on, on a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, their bikes are just all over the place design-wise. I mean, they're they're never there's never two the same. Wow. So uh, it keeps it interesting. You know, I mean, they're you know they're not really the kind of bike I I want to ride so much, but um, you know I'm happy to do them. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to do the work. Happy to have the work. That's pretty much the way it's always worked. You know, <laughs> yeah. I've done. That's why I've done lots of bikes that you know I wouldn't typically ride. Recumbents, I don't ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'd like to work. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's still it's still making bikes. Rivendells and, uh, are really characterized very often, not all of them, but very often by you know a lowish bottom bracket and a longish wheelbase. Um, yeah. yeah. Would you differentiate that from what uh, a Nobelette is more likely to be? Well, I mean, some of the Rivendell stuff is kind of the extreme. How so? Uh, would, well, you mentioned chain stalings. Mm-hmm. We go up to 55. Oh. Wow. Yeah, people do say that when I tell them that. Is that... uh, but it's a different kind of bike, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> it's just a different kind of bike, more upright, long top tubes with a swept back tight bar. A lot of times, you know, when I first started working for them, they were mostly road, you know, mm-hmm. touring bikes. Yeah. Making. And, uh, you know, chain stays would never be over 46 or seven typically in those days. But, you know, Grant's kind of doing a different thing now. And, uh, I mean, he has, you know, touring bikes still, of course, production bikes. Uh, but it seems like a lot of the custom stuff is going more toward these upright bikes. And, uh, yeah, again, it's, you know, not really my thing so much, but I'm, I'm just fun to make them. So, uh, yeah. I hope it keeps him coming. Excellent. Yeah. Um, with your own stuff, what is your current lead time and where do your prices start? Yeah. Um, well, lead time is, it's, it's a little lean right now as far as business goes. I'm doing, you know, get some stuff from Riv and, uh, Zen to do and a couple of frames of my own, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little slow. And which is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. I usually don't get to the point where I'm starting to worry. But, uh, you know, right now, turnaround is probably about three months. Okay. And um, uh, prices prices start, you know, with the TIG welded frame, you know, around 2000 bucks, 2200 mm-hmm. for, um, you know, and then goes up from there for fillet braids and then to lugs. You know, typical lug frame nowadays is, you know, closer to 35. Okay. Um, something like that. And, you know, I'm doing a lot of, you know, a lot more rando bikes, doing a lot of racks nowadays, mm-hmm. small tube racks. Those are fun. I like doing those. 
And that'll really drive uh, up the cost, though, because there's an awful lot of work oh, in building yeah. a rack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, racks are... <laughs> I mean, you get full-on racks, it's almost as much as the, as the frame. Ooh. You know, we're... Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of work. You know, a little little tiny front rack that I make is 450. The low riders are 600. The you know little rack on the back. Uh, I mean, that can vary. It's all custom. So mm-hmm. I mean, I have some set designs, but uh, you know, I'm open. So uh, you know, people want to change the platform size or something like that. I can do that. Uh, so yeah, now there's there seems to be a fair amount of interest in that. Uh, the 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 racks, you know, along with the rando mm-hmm. stuff. So um, I guess um, I know there's an article in the latest Bike Quarterly about a bike I made for an heirs, Renee heirs. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't seen the article yet, um, but. Uh, and that's a full-on rando bike with racks. And, uh, apparently, it got a really good review from Jan. So. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we've got yeah. some listeners who are going to be uh, checking that out soon. I hope so. <laughs> send me a copy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Jan should send me a copy. There you go. We're going to take a short break for our sponsor, Shimano, and we'll be right back. At Shimano, we love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. I'm back with Mark Nobilette. I tell people that The Pull is a podcast about craft. Certainly one of the most difficult challenges that a builder faces is how to fit a client they haven't personally met with. Given the yeah. depth of your experience, I'm wondering, you know, how is it you like to get that job done? Well, you know, in a lot, a lot of cases, I'll rely on the customer to you know, get size on a size cycle or, uh, you know, use an existing bike. Um, I still like to do that. If I'm actually doing any sizing, I'll do some here 
uh, mm-hmm. using the fit kit, but it's a really old fit kit that I had way back when I had a bike shop in Michigan. So I think it still works fine, mm-hmm. but you know, I've always thought the fit kit had some quirks that, you know, I'd have to kind of adjust for. And, um, but, uh, you know, that usually works out pretty well. Um, so if somebody does contact me from out of state and, you know, I'll send them a sheet to, so they can take their own measurements and, uh, you know, and then we'll kind of go back and forth from there with, an, you know, again, with hopefully an existing bike that they have that they can take some measurements from. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I've seen lots of disasters with that sort of thing. So I, I don't, you know, I don't want to tell somebody absolutely that they should have a certain top tube length or C tube length. Uh, I mean, C tube length is pretty straightforward, but top tube lengths, you know, I mean, stem with a stem combination and the way they might want to ride upright more or less, um, you know, it changes all that. And, um, so I, again, you know, kind of rely on their own experiences mm-hmm. a lot in that case. Um, you know, I don't really like sizing somebody from scratch. Uh, but like I say, I will do it. I will do it. And I've had, you know, pretty good success with it. So. Cool. But, you know, people people can adapt to bikes, too. So That's for sure. You know, you can you can get it a little bit wrong, and it'll still be fine. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I want to try to get it right to begin with. But that's, you know, and that's why I need input from the customer. Yeah. So, yeah. So, at this point, yeah. you've been building more than 40 years. Yeah. What about this craft still gets you up in the morning? You know, what part of the work still gets you excited? Well, um, you know, I guess it's the prospect of doing something a little different every time, or at least maybe something that I hadn't done in a while. You know, I do a lot of repairs here Mm -hmm. and, uh, and actually you can learn a lot from repairs. And, um, and they can be challenging. And so, you know, I just, I like the challenge, I guess, you know, it's, uh, you know, again, it comes back to the same thing, like uh, with the lug designs, you know, that's a challenge figuring out what to cut and, uh, and what to make. Even sometimes, I mean, a lot of times if I'm making a bike, uh, you know, I'll pretty much always make it my size, but it's, it's going to be for show. And, um, so, you know, I want to do something that's going to attract some attention. Nice. Uh, And so, yeah, that's, um, again, just the challenge comes back to the challenge. Uh, but, you know, I'm always up for it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can try to, I've tried to, I've tried to keep my fingers into, uh, 
everything frame building. I've tried to at least have some knowledge of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, aluminum, steel, you know, aluminum, carbon fiber, titanium. Uh, yeah, I built some titanium frames. I don't feel like I'm an expert at it. I can make you a decent titanium bike, but, you know, really my thing is steel. But I've always wanted to have the knowledge of what goes into all that stuff. And, um, you know, maybe you can get a chance to, to, to do it, some of it, experience some of it, even working for somebody else. Like when I worked for GT, um, and I was at one point was going to take a job welding aluminum downhill bikes for him. Uh-huh. I was all ready to take the, I mean, they'd given me the job. I was going to go in the next day and do it. And then I got a call from my, uh, my, uh, recumbent guy down in Colorado Springs with a big order. So I never did it. I never did the, the downhill bikes. Wow. Um, but in a way I kind of regret not doing that. I would have gained a lot of experience welding aluminum and, uh, Anyway, whether I built more aluminum bikes or not, it still would have been a good thing to have that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, I want to be able to, I want to know that if I have to fall back on some other skill, if the whole thing goes to hell, you know, nobody wants a steel bike anymore, you know, which is kind of happening. Um, you know, I can maybe move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and with these other skills, you know, you can do other things. It doesn't have to be bikes. And uh, you know, sure. so who knows? Yeah, maybe I'll be making furniture or something. It's happened. You, know? you wouldn't um, be the first. I've actually dabbled in that. No, I, they wouldn't be. And I've actually dabbled in it a little bit, and it can be fun. Oh, neat! But you know, I don't want to. I'm at this point in my career where I don't want to go out and hustle anymore. You know, if I had to start another business, I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I can appreciate that. So I'm going to hang on. I'm going to hang on to the frame building thing as long as I can. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, people will still want steel bikes, um, you know, until I die. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd say the market is yeah. noticeably better than where it was 20 years ago. So... You know, I, I think you're in good well, shape. Yeah, you know, you, you would have thought actually 20 years ago that it was going to die. It, it and, came close uh, to. <laughs> and it just keeps hanging on. It just keeps hanging on. And so luckily there still are a couple little niches that, uh, you know, that, you know, it makes some sense to have steel bike, you know, touring, rando, maybe even track or cyclocross, perhaps. Um. But you know, when I look, at, you look at the at the races. Like I've been watching these uh, World Cup uh, cross races, mm-hmm. and they're all riding carbon. They're all yeah. riding carbon disc brake bikes. Not a single other material in there. Um, so you know, this is where it's going. This is where it is. Um, you know, so uh, you know, I guess I'm basically okay with it. But you know, I. I hope there's still a few people out there that want steel because I'm not going to make carbon bikes. Yeah. We'll so, be around. We will definitely be sticking around. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, the, the you know, the, you know, retro scene, the, the Fondos, the, um, 
you know, that scene is, is actually pretty strong right now. And, uh, you know, the Leroyka mm-hmm. thing too, you know, those are all kind of keeping it alive, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to continue. Um, you know, like you said, there'll always be a few people interested. Well, I think it's more than a few because this certainly this podcast is, is it leans toward the steel frame builder like yourself. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we've got a pretty good audience. So I, I'm yeah, good. remaining hopeful. Good. I, well, I, you know, it still holds the most interest for me. And uh, I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in the history of it, too. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get excited about a smooth plastic joint, mm-hmm. and 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 it's lugs lugs are what got me. Are one of the things that got me into bikes to begin with. Just a little couple sleeves of tube, you know, and uh, just shaped different ways. And uh, I'm I'm glad that there are still some people out there that are interested in that. And, and yeah, hopefully it'll continue. Like I said, so yeah, yeah, um, we'll be there. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you so much for the time. I've really enjoyed this. I've always enjoyed talking with you, and I'm glad to get something that uh, can be turned over to an audience. Yeah, I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. I'd like to thank Mark Nobelette for joining me on the poll. You can visit his site at nobelettecycles.net or drop by our post at RKP where we will have links to his site. That's it for this episode of The Poll. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to RKP's other podcast, The Pace Line, Co-hosted by Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick from Bicycling Magazine, I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.